Welcome to The Kingstonian, a podcast that profiles individuals who are passionate about what they do for a living, about what organization they belong to, or simply passionate about the community they are a part of. Hello there and welcome. My name is Dave Cunningham. Our guest today is a well-known singer, songwriter, performer, musician, Michael Myers. Michael, welcome. Thank you, and welcome. And uh, yeah, it's great to be here uh, in this uh, grand old uh, place. Institution. Institution. Back to 1922. Geez, I think I I remember recording something here back in 69, 68. A lot of stuff has gone through these doorways. that's, That's for sure. I've been doing this show for about a year now, and I've interviewed other musicians and singer-songwriters from the area, people like Cliff Edwards, John Malcolm, Kevin Head, Georgette Fry. We talk about the rich culture of musical ability in this community, and every time we talk about that, your name seems to come up quite frequently as one of the people who's been around a while and doing a great job Mm. and you know, dedicated to their particular craft. Mm-hmm. What about the, the community of musicians in this town? Uh, yeah, well, there's, you know, I, I've lived here most of my life, and uh, so I've uh, got to meet a lot, uh, and it's it's a very, it's a thriving. I was just saying recently to somebody, uh, boy, I look around at the, the clubs and uh, different venues, and there seems to be a lot of live music. Musicians are getting work in the city uh you know i i know my generation my <laughs> generation of musicians and and uh you know the, and there's a whole younger crowd coming up uh so it's uh, it's thriving let's go back a few years to when you and i were both in high school mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> that's when the horse and buggies were still on the streets. <laughs> Not quite that you far back. You expect me to remember that? <laughs> yes. It's the 60s. I don't know. You're not supposed to remember the 60s if you no. were there. Okay. You were involved in bands in high school. Yes. Did you ever envision this sort of track that your life would take in <laughs> terms of music? Uh, no, I never No, I never did, although it was. it really did attract me to be in. Of course, it got me through, though, the years of high school. Um, I made some extra money, uh, and uh, it was an exciting thing to do in high school. If when you're a student, uh, it kept. I was thinking of this the other day. It kept me off the dance floor uh, <laughs> in those in those uh, terrifying dances, uh, high school dances. I would be on the stage. Some people would think, "Oh, that must have been." You know, at your age, terrifying to be on stage. Well, no, it's the other way around. <laughs> Although, you know, I would go to dances and hear other bands play. Uh, that, that, and there was some great bands that would come to Kingston. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, no, I, I, I uh, just took uh, year after year and see things developed and evolved. One of the things that I can recall from those days, and I'm sure if we have listeners who are from the same era when we talk about bands performing in high schools, I remember one fellow that used to get up on stage quite frequently, and his name was Stanley. Mm-hmm. And he used to play tambourine with just about every band that performed. Do yeah. you recall him and, and his? Oh, yeah. I, I, well, up until he was still, he still, he was still a fixture uh, here in Kingston up until... Three or four years ago, I mean, I was playing in a, re- <clears throat> a reformed version of the Growing Pains uh, from around 2000 to 2010 or so, and uh, Stanley was still there, and he, he was like, he, he 
loved being around the bands and and he still would get up and play uh, tambourine mm-hmm. and uh, yeah and he would say to me I, I mean speaking of how long he's been around he he'd say to me Mike you know we've been together since we've known each other since 1968 so <laughs> I think I met him the first time was in Lino's restaurant <laughs> now, there's another memory there's another, yeah, another. now growing <clears throat> pains you just mentioned growing pains so that was your first band Yes, it was. The, uh, yeah, in the 60s it was. We were 15 years old. What kind of music would you have been playing back then? We were, well, I saw, <laughs> I saw, I, I posted some photos on Facebook recently and of the band from back then, and somebody wrote in, Kingston had a boy band? <laughs> <laughs> we used to play things like anywhere from Dino, Desi, and Billy, which was uh, oh, uh, yeah. Dean, uh, you know, Dean Martin's sons and uh, Desi Arnaz's son and, uh, and so on. Uh, anywhere from there or to things like Hang On Sloopy to, uh, you know, some little ugly ducklings at Toronto. So, so we had yes, a sort right, of a yeah. little, we had some gritty stuff and then we had some real pop stuff. Uh, but it was it was current stuff on the radio. And we also had a, an interesting thing was uh, one of the guys in the band, Wayne Scott, his uncle uh, was uh, was on this uh, record list, a record co- um, book, or record company, what do you call them now, uh, where you would... Mail order books. albums. Yeah, yeah mail yeah, order. Yeah. And he, with the States, so he would get all these records that were back in those days it wasn't you know things would be start being big or something in the states but it would take a bit of time to get up into canada so and we would get these records that were that were becoming big in the states before they got up to canada so we were playing songs often before the, they were popular here on the radio here yeah yeah so we were doing things like that too it was, it was, uh, so how did fun. it evolve so you finish high school and you continue with the music and uh, now, right now, you are doing quite a wide range of different things musically. But when you began, how did you sort of evolve to different genres of music? Yeah. Well, you know, my uh, in my family, my older brother, uh, he was uh, folk music was a big thing um, in our family. Kings, the Kingston Trio, uh, groups like that, the, um, and I. That's when I first started playing guitar. I was on acoustic guitar, and I would place uh I, and i'd be listening to this stuff and so you know i was in this gr- the growing pains that was my that was my first sort of performing thing but after that i, I or and even at the same time i started working in a folk music genre with a fellow uh, another fellow in town mark haynes and we had a duo and we would play the simon and garfunkel early james taylor and the classic folk stuff I was in a folk mass group. We would go around and play at masses and for weddings and at masses, playing folk music. So there was that, and so those were the two at the time in the early in the '60s before I got into, you know, before I got into then I got into songwriting and then uh, that evolved. Then next thing I know, I got into this theater company, and so everything started, uh, you know, going crazy. <laughs> you, you've got a long resume of different sorts of activities. So you started doing your own songs. And I always envision that as being something really difficult to do, is to sit down and write something that's original, that's Mm -hmm. different from what you may have heard elsewhere. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So how did that process begin? Were you just tired of what you were singing and wanted to try something else? or? Yeah, uh, the origins of why I wanted to. I don't know. I I got into writing songs. I remember I had a a, a tape deck at home, a reel-to-reel tape deck, and I would just all of a sudden I started writing these songs about my experiences i guess it was the teenage being a teenager and and the and the different 
things that a, a teenager has to deal with. Uh, I found songwriting, uh, all this teenage angst and all this other stuff informed my songwriting, and songwriting mm-hmm. was an outlet for that. I remember, uh, but I, you know, I also at the same time remember the first one of the f- first songs I ever wrote <laughs> was called. St- this had nothing to do with teenage angst. It was called <laughs> Stingray. <laughs> it's three chords, like a, a, a la Neil Diamond, and it was, uh, you know, and they took the main, the chorus line, the hook line was, "Yeah, she's my Stingray with the big flashy tail." <laughs> 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 Although, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Wayne Scott's uh, uncle said, ah, Mike, maybe you don't want to sing that a lot. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what do you mean? I don't know. It was pure, perfectly innocent. But, yeah. Let, let's move ahead a little bit and um, talk a little bit about the big fat horn band. Mm-hmm. So at some particular point, you got interested in fronting a bigger band. Yes. And a totally different genre than you had done when you were in high school, let's say. How did sort that of, yeah. Come together. Well, you know, uh, I mean, I was in a, in 1971. I was in a, a horn band. I was the bass player and singer in this, but it was more along the lines of Chicago and Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Yeah, I was, and uh, so I did that for a little while. Uh, but the, and also in high school, I was in a band where I was just the singer. I wasn't playing guitar. So there, those were two things which I'm I'm now doing in the Big Fat Horn Band. And I always had this thing. I always this fantasy in my mind. I love the idea of being a lead singer in front of a a hot band and 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 not have a guitar slung over my shoulders, but just be able to use my voice, which is in a lot of ways is my main instrument, and use that as what my way of uh, performing and projecting what I wanted to, you know, project musically to the audience. Mm-hmm. So I it it. The horn band, and, and what we're doing now, the Big Fat Horn Band, it not only does the, I mean, I love the swing and the standard stuff, like the buble and the Sinatra stuff that we do, but we also do, like, the Colin James rock and blues stuff. We do Van Morris and stuff. We do some of the Lighthouse and Blood, Sweat, and Tears still. So it really covers a wide variety of stuff, of music genres that, I've, that I'm familiar with anyways. So it's like... This is sort of a natural thing for me to do now. It's my music career has evolved to this point uh, in the big fat horn band. Whereas people are telling me, Michael, you know, this is what you should be doing. This, mm-hmm. this is totally natural for you. So the so. band is like a blend of a lot of the stuff mm-hmm. that you have. Been yeah, doing. It, it's uh, yeah. yeah. I said before we started recording that I really enjoy the sound of a big band with the horns and all the other instruments involved. Mm-hmm. It's just got that. That sound that just grabs you yeah, when you're yeah. performing. We were talking before the song about your experience with the Big Fat Horn Band. And I don't know how much there is a relationship between that and the show that you put on called The Bobby Show. And tell us a little bit about The Bobby Show. Well, The Bobby Show, it, it, it was a result of me searching around for an idea. I think I wanted to put together a theme a themed show, rather than you know, always think, okay, I have to get a gig here at this bar. I got to go to this bar to play this gig. I got to see, if, you know, it's always changing. I wanted something that was a little more where I could take it to theaters or uh, cabaret settings or whatever that way, uh, out of the typical bar, play a song, cover song type of thing. So I, it was a theme, and and I was I grew when I was young. My first exposure to music was was in the of the late fifties and the these of the music back then, the pop music back then. 
Before Elvis and before the British invasion. Well, around Elvis' time, but before the British invasion. Uh, But it was always in the background. Uh, You know, there was a Connie Francis album always being played at my home. And uh, things like that. And um, so, and I remember, so when I was thinking of this idea to put together a a show, a theme show, I remember back then there was an awful lot of those singers were named Bobby. And they, and it, it had a sort of refreshing, bright sound to it. Whenever I think of the music and to think of the name Bobby, so I don't know. It just I thought it just I dawned on me one night the Bobby Show. <laughs> so for those who may not have been born back in the in the fifties or sixties, we're yes. talking Bobby V and Bobby Vinton, Bobby Darren, uh, Bobby Curtola, Canada's Bobby Curtola, Bobby Day, Bobby Helms. There's nine of them in uh, that I nine in of our show. Bobby uh, Rydell. They all had, they all had a, a string of hits, and these are that was sort of the criteria, you know. I, you know, there was other Bobbies. You know, I love this Bobby Fuller Four, you know, but he had I the fought one the hit. Law. Yeah, I fought the law. I do that now in my other bands, but uh, I thought no, I, I got to put a stop somewhere. So these these Bobbies had, had a certain, and they came from that era, late fifties, early sixties, and they they had three, four, five hits, and so I would pick three uh, or so of the of my favorite songs and uh, and put them in the show tell little stories uh, in between out and you know put them in a setting mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you talked about wanting to create a different kind of show that you could bring into a theater or some sort of cabaret or something like that now you have been involved with theater particularly theater five have you done acting or is it just a yeah, company just, or what well it, my first the original job was just to, to provide music and accompaniment and uh, to their shows, their live shows. And they were into a lot of, uh, at the, when I first joined them, inter- improvisation. Uh, and then, but they would have set skits. They would, and we would be going to schools or, uh, and, well, which eventually went into theaters. But I would provide the musical accompaniment. And often I would be called upon, well, gee, Michael, we need somebody to do this, just for a little, for a moment. So I would end up uh, doing a walk-on. Until eventually I'd, I had some main parts, which I did, was was just acting, and it had nothing to do with the music. And there was a few shows I did that way. So you toured with the group as well. That's right, yeah. yeah. Well, there was, I look upon, there's two times, I, from about 71 to 75, or 70 to 75, I, I worked with them. We used to, around uh, schools in gymnasiums and so on and uh, and that's where I sort of first started feeling a lot more comfortable about going out and playing by myself on guitar because at some point in the show I would get out in front of the audience and sing one song just as part of the, the this is part of this variety show we would do uh, we would also do anything like we do penitentiaries too we remember we did a few of those then I left them from about 75 to 80 moved to Toronto tried to explore my uh, music career more there then i got got called back to kingston to from so from about 80 to 85 i i wrote um the music and lyrics for a lot of their classic fairy tales which we put on in theaters around southern ontario and uh that that was an exciting time too so uh, that was a very big influence um in my career has been uh theater in theater five before we started recording, we started to throw around the word diversification. And when we talk about you performing with a big fat horn band, and we talk about you performing solo, and talk about you performing with Theater 5, there's a couple of other 
groups that you are involved with, and still, one is Hattrick and one is Rivercats. Yes. And I think I would have covered them all. I think so. Yeah. Hattrick is a revival of the Growing Pains? Or? Well, uh, when, when the Growing Pains uh, uh, folded back, uh, we, we, we played in the 60s, the Growing Pains, and then it was about... 20 years later, in 2000, we thought we'd get back together and, and uh, play the same style of music. So we did that for about eight years, nine years, and then the, the band folded, but three of the members, including myself, didn't want to, they wanted to keep on playing and uh, performing that, uh, that style of music. So uh, the, the, the drummer and the guitar, lead guitarist and myself, I, I decided, well, okay, I'll be the bass player. So I played bass, you know, I play bass in this trio called Hattrick. And the River Cats? The River Cats. Well, we've been doing, uh, Spencer Evans and I, we were, were the entertainment on the Island Queen, the main entertainment on the Island Queen, and we've been doing that now for 20 years. And that covers all all over the place. He's big on the clarinet and, and piano and the New Orleans style of music, and we'll do that. And, of course, it's a New Orleans-style riverboat that we're on, so it really works well that way. And I, you know, And we do some rock and roll. We'll do old... This and that, whatever works, whatever works in our variety type show. I am just have a sort of a sidebar question here. When it comes to performing as much as you do based upon your different combinations of uh, groups and stuff, is how do you keep your voice in shape? Because you must be doing, you know, and particularly in the summertime, you're doing a lot of different gigs. Yeah, well... You know, actually, I find in the summertime is when my voice is at its strongest because I'm using it a lot. Uh, so I think the, the and I've all, I've never actually taken proper singing lessons. So I'm, you know, some singing teachers would say, "Oh boy, you're 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 putting a lot of strain on your voice, or you shouldn't do it this. You should warm up for this and that." But I've been lucky. Uh, and I'm, it's always been a pretty strong muscle, uh, although in the middle of winter, if I'm not using it much, I'll, it's easy to lose my voice, mm-hmm. especially playing in these rock and roll settings and so on where you're straining it. So, yeah, in the winter, it's I should be using it more. But in the summertime when I'm really using it a lot, uh, it, it's, uh, it's, it's quite strong, yeah. You've done a lot of recordings during your career, and um, one of the notes that I saw on your website, which sort of triggered something in my mind, is that most of us, when we read about people going into a recording studio, so you pay for a recording studio's time, and you have it booked for a particular time, so you have to get yourself in shape, you have to get everything memorized, or at least organized in terms Mm -hmm. of what you're going to do. But I gather you do more of your stuff at home using some of the technology that's available to you now that wasn't, say, 40 years ago. Yeah, now, now, yeah, the last album I did of my songs, I did at home. I was originally, they were what you call demos of these, uh, I think it was nine songs there. And I was thought, okay, well, these are the demos, and then that'll be my template for to go into the studio and spend a whole bunch of money and, and put this CD together and, uh, you know, and God knows how much... These aren't these aren't rec- recordings that are going to go across uh, to all the radio stations in North America and the world and be on their hip rating like mm-hmm. that. So it's a big risk. And so I thought, and I listened to my uh, my demos, at, which I recorded at home using uh, you know, on my computer software, GarageBand in this case. And I thought, well, I'm happy with this. I I like what I did here. Uh, it's uh, I don't want to go back into the studio and do it all over again. Uh, so I, I thought, I'm just going to release it as is. Mm-hmm. 
and it's a small recording. Now I have no uh, dreams of it becoming, uh, you know, uh, because it's done on a humble basis in my apartment. Uh, so, but it was, it's something to, it's merchandise and it's, it's something, it's something I've done. It's a recording of my songs. It's, it's my, my artwork being shown, you know, on recorded here and uh, made available to people. Made available to the public. Yeah. yeah. Before we leave the show here, why don't we run through some of the dates that you're going to be uh, performing in the next little while so people can take the opportunity to catch your act, whatever your act may happen to be. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm going to be. You know, uh, the Bobby show we were talking about, November 19th, I'm doing that again uh, at the RCHA. Uh, we're doing it on, that's a Sunday afternoon. Uh, the, uh, let's see, the, the Big Fat Horn Band is in a week and a half, uh, September 30th, and that's at the RCHA. Along Also, at the, the RCHA has been great for me. They, they, mm-hmm. they book me a lot these days. Uh, October 13th, the Limestone Rock and Roll Review, which is a... A collection of a bunch of great musicians from in town and singers, and we're doing uh, the class, the pioneers of rock and roll. October fourteenth, uh, hat trick, yeah, at the RCHA. You're a busy guy. Well, yeah, it sounds that way, but I have a lot of you know downtime. That's that's my that's what I do for a living, and mm-hmm. uh, I don't, you know, I, I, if I get two or th- gigs in a day, that gets sometimes a little overwhelming. I tend to like you know I need space in between each, but yeah, if I'll do t- two or three gigs a week. And that will wrap up the program, Michael. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for coming in. Oh, thank you very much for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Theme music for the program is Stasis Oasis, a tune written and performed by Kingston musician Jim Aylesworth. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions about any of our episodes, please send a note to the Kingstonian Podcast Facebook page. This is Dave Cunningham from Kingston, Ontario. Thank you for listening. Until next time.